Hello, welcome to a new episode of the Burning Eye podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Hart. It's really nice to be back. The weather's been nice. I hope that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you're having a lovely day. Today's guest, we will be joined by Tom Katie Walters, um, who has just released their debut collection, My Body is a Resource I Am Willing to Expend. This debut full collection is a story of becoming, of learning, what it means to care and be cared for, to love and be loved. In 2016, Katie Tom Walters caught Fresher's flu and never quite recovered and developed a severely disabling incurable disease. My body is a resource I'm willing to expend, exposes the process of acceptance, reconfiguring their relationships with finding their place in an increasingly difficult and inaccessible world. From their bed, they rebel in a world of sprawling plants, transcendental tenderness, where righteous crippled pride collides with rage, grief and mourning. Katie is an autistic and physically disabled writer who creates performance poetry and interdisciplinary poetic storytelling for theatre. They write complicated metaphors about serious things like sickness, loss and love. Their writing is highly political with a queer crypt and cripple punk ethos, aiming to tell challenging and subversive stories that destabilise the non-disabled norm. In 2014, Katie was winner of the Slambassadors Youth Slam and they've stuck to the stage ever since. They have performed at festivals including Greenbank and Shambhala and worked on commissions for Homotopia and Theatre Absolute. In 2019, they co-founded the disability arts organisation Radical Body, where they produce radical new performances by and for disabled people. Of the book, Penny Pepper says, A timely collection exploring the dark and light of disability, chronic illness and the deeply broadest, deepest, broadest fibre of human experience in powerful and appropriate contrary language. As usual, I hope you really enjoy today's episode and do keep in touch. Like and subscribe and follow the podcast and do share with your friends as well. Hello, hello, Tom. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay, thanks. I'm um, just doing some work, enjoying the fact that it's Friday when we record this, so afterwards I get to go and eat an ice cream. <laughs> um, talking of food, um, I'd like to ask a random question at the beginning of every episode. Um, what was the last really good thing that you ate that you were like oh this is so nice oh that's an interesting question I think it was probably some kind of tofu <laughs> <laughs> um I love like a salt and pepper tofu it's like my favorite food so <laughs> yeah salt and pepper tofu is underrated because you can get all of like marinated and whatever but it is it is the one of the best just so pure and simple yeah and you know I'm vegan so I take what I can get yeah same same solidarity pal with you there <laughs> nice sounds good um tofu is a top food choice for everybody including myself and you um Tom we're um talking today about your new debut collection my body is a resource I am willing to expend one of the longest titles ever <laughs> It is, yeah. It's um, a bit of a pain for writing emails and such. Yeah, we should come up with some 
smaller version of it maybe but uh, it's a great title um and it, it is a line in one of the poems as well isn't it yeah it's um oh it's one of those lines that's sort of the title but sort of the start of the poem <laughs> yeah love those kind of titles um so yeah congratulations um on your first full collection of poems yeah thank you so much for you know seeing something in my work um yeah I mean we uh I often really enjoy seeing who comes through on the open submissions because there's always people that you know you've never heard of or people that have gone under your radar um, and people that just surprise you and I remember the one one of the one things that Clive and I both said when when we were doing this I mean we were reading yours was that your opening poem was so strong um, and we often tell people the publishers will often tell people that you when you when you do a submission you have to put your best poem first and yeah that's exactly what you did uh, and we were hooked from there um, and watching the like evolution of the collection as as it's gone from that sort of rough submission period into a fully fledged um, book of poems has been has been a real pleasure it's been lovely no that's really nice to hear um it's been a really interesting process to go through um, of sort of scooping up everything I've written since I was about 16, uh, <laughs> figuring out what's good and then, um, you know, having some dedicated time to work with you on editing um, was really amazing. Um, I've never really worked with anyone editing before and it's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> it makes such a huge difference. Um, you know, there are a lot of points where you've gone, actually, I think, you know, this is the crux of the poem and you've missed it and carried on. That's, um, <laughs> I think, a very common problem for me. I, I tend to overwrite and having that external perspective has been really interesting and has also really carried through into the things that I'm making now. Yeah, it's always, um, you know, a real pleasure to be able to to work as an editor um, to get to to do that with Peter, that's a big thrill of mine to be like, oh, this is the poem here, this bit, this bit, this is this is the poem, um, and to to help unearth what that finished sort of poem will look like, and um, it's uh, been really nice to to work with you on that process as well because, like you say, I, like you've never worked with an editor before, and I think working with an editor, whether you're looking to publish or not is really important it's the same in like lots of fields of art you know especially like theatre and things you know you tend to run things by people before you put them out um in the world um and my body is a resource I'm willing to expect expend is sort of I think a finished product of a career so far yeah I'm so sorry I'm recovering from a cough <laughs> oh don't worry that's okay um and I just yeah let's talk I just want to talk a little bit more about that process for you of um um that journey you know from the beginning of your sort of poetry career like you said you began when you were like sort of writing about 16 um how did you like get into performance poetry um I suspect I have the same answer as many people my age which is that I came across button poetry um, <laughs> yeah. on Tumblr and I went, oh, I can do that. Um, <laughs> um, it really appealed to me at the time, I think, because there's this um, really open and sincere aspect 
to that kind of performance poetry um, that I, I felt like, I think everyone feels this way when they're a teenager. Like I had a lot of feelings. I had a lot of things to say and I didn't feel very able to say them. Um, so it really appealed to me, the idea of having, you know, five minutes. <laughs> everyone has to listen to me and I can be completely honest. That's sort of where, where the, the core appeal came from. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. I think we all, whether we come through from button poetry or whatever we come through, I think there is that um, urgency in the beginning to be like, I have something to say and I need to share this. And sort of watching other poets do that and being inspired by that to be like, wait, I can do that. That's, that's <laughs> something that I can do. Um, and so, yeah, you started off with this button poetry and you got involved with Slambassadors as well. Yeah, I honestly don't remember how I came across Slambassadors, um, but they just had open submissions. Um, and I think that they are really, really vital starting point for young people because it can be tricky to know where to start with, um, you know, finding a platform for sort of spoken word, particularly when you're quite young. I found to be quite difficult anyway you know everything's in bars um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that probably there's a degree of impatience that um might you might encounter um at open mics when you are a teenager I think um I always felt at least that people were a bit like oh what are they doing there <laughs> you know they're um they're just a baby like yeah um yeah. which I to be honest I don't know how realistic that was or if I was just an anxious teen but um slambassadors were just like yeah we think we think kids making poetry are brilliant and we're going to put them on a stage in front of 400 people go <laughs> so it was very <laughs> a very dramatic shift for me literally never having performed in front of anyone and then suddenly being in front of like 400 people at the South Bank Centre um, was um, a really interesting experience that I think I maybe wasn't quite emotionally ready to take full advantage of. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> you know, but that, I think that's probably true. But anyway, I think you were ready because I, I feel like that is now spring since then you've springboarded from that. You know, obviously you got the performing bug, <laughs> uh, which gets so many of us. Um, it's a great feeling performing to, to groups of people. And sort of your performance um, has carried on and you've done theatre things as well. Um, what is it about performing that, um, that kind of draws you in so much? Um, so I've always said that this is probably at least partly because I'm autistic. Um, I have a very difficult time making myself understood um, on an interpersonal level. Like I find it really difficult to figure out how I'm feeling and to articulate, you know, um, what the issues are that I'm dealing with in my life as well as how I'm feeling about other people in my life. Um, and performance, I feel, gives me a chance to take full control over that conversation essentially I can 
spend a long time figuring out the best way of communicating these difficult and complicated ideas and I can then communicate them to you know a whole room full of really receptive people and it just really helps me to feel understood um in a way that I don't necessarily get to um day to day with my interactions with other people it's um helps me to feel connected I think with others yeah that's yeah I like that's really cool like in terms of like um yeah wanting people to understand you and that being your 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 platform of of making that happen for you um yeah that's really nice and then obviously continuing that kind of a conversation with the book as well and um and so you're fur- you're being further asking to be understood in 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 on the page now as well and i think that comes across in the book that urgency of i need to this is this is what it's like for me and this is this is my experience um and there's that poem that you've got in the book about the the, the foxes and the running um and there's just so many like little moments in the book where you can see that sort of longing to be understood and and the way in which you use metaphors to sort of help people understand that yeah i am um, i really like communicating through metaphors because they let you say things that are very very complicated with only a quite short number of words yeah um, you know it's all about the vibes <laughs> all about the vibes but then the book isn't just about that you know you've got a collection here that's like about you as a person and and the fact that it's you're not just um uh someone with autism you are a person you shaved your head you love bright colored dungarees you know your relationships with the people in your life it's all it comes across in a really beautiful and colorful way I think really represents you as a person I've already known you for about a year or so and I'm like <laughs> this is very Tom this book <laughs> yeah, very on brand very I think. on brand yeah um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> particularly um you know the thoughts and feelings that I have about nature are like a really key part of the collection and about how I understand myself um sort of throughout the book there's a lot of metaphors of trees and plants and ocean and I think that that is a really important part of how I see myself um because um I live with a a quite severely disabling chronic illness and um that like really drastically changed who I was as an artist Um, when I got sick sort of partly in terms of my my career prospects the direction that I was going in professionally had to change yeah Um, Yeah. and also the way that I saw the world changed really really drastically Um, there's this concept called crypt time which is um, essentially the idea that for disabled people we have to live on different time frames to everyone else um because doing things takes longer if you don't have as much energy if um you need help doing things you know over time that really stacks up and um the the way I tend to explain it to people is if I go for like a 
you know, work coffee um, <laughs> with a, a contact that I have locally. That'll be the thing that I do for that, like, a month. That'll be <laughs> leaving the house that I have done. And for that person who I meet, um, that will be, you know, a Tuesday. That will be <laughs> one of many times that they go for work coffee over that month. And so you fall out of sync. That thing that is still very recent to me and still a really big part of, of what I've been doing is a very small part of what other people do and becomes distant to them very quickly. Yeah. Um, and so that sort of, that desync in time frame is what we call crypt time. And when I got sick, I stopped finding it helpful to look at other people's lives to understand myself. Um, I, I couldn't understand myself by those time frames anymore. And so I fell into understanding myself by the world around me, by, you know, the slow growth of trees and erosion and that much wider timescale um, makes much more sense to me than it used to. And so when I'm trying to explain who I am, what I'm going through, I really do lean on those ideas about my surroundings and understanding myself in that context. Yeah, I think it comes across really well in the book as well. I think it's a, it's a great debut collection of saying, you know, this is how it is for me. This is the time in which I move in. The, the realms of time that I move in. Um, and yeah, you've got that, you know, the we've talked about it on previous episodes of the podcast as well, where we were talking about that shift in the pandemic, in the pandemic, pandemic, <laughs> when uh, everything moved online and suddenly uh, people with disabilities were more visible um, and these spaces opened up. Um, how was that for you in terms of um, uh, finding new ways to reach out to people? Um, so it was really interesting because uh, I've been trying to get people to do that for quite a while. Um, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, I, I co-run a disability arts organisation called Radical Body and like the whole thing that we are doing is trying to encourage people to use technology for access and inclusion. Yeah. Uh, so suddenly it was like, oh, our USP, it's everywhere, um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, was really heartening to see and I think has shown a lot of the potential. Um, it has been quite depressing lately, seeing how things seem to have fallen back. Yeah. Um, but it was really rewarding for me for feeling connected with my creative community for the first time because that's something I found really, really hard. It's just, it's really tough for me to build up strong relationships with other people in my area who are making the same kind of work that I do because they, uh, they want me to be in the room. And I get mm -hmm. it, it's, it's hard to build a relationship with somebody who you can't see. Um, and it's hard for me to familiarize myself with other people's work if I can't go and see it. So, suddenly yeah I was just able to to look at what everyone was doing um and it it gave me a lot of feelings um <laughs> <laughs> it, 
in a, yeah. in a really positive way it gave me a lot to think about and I think it made me want to make art much more than I had been um yeah 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 I can see that and I think you're right in terms of like it um broadening this you know the possibilities of what an accessible event looks like and prove time and time again that it could be done um you know with the right resources um and sensibilities around it you know just sort of thinking about disabled people at home not able still able to get out um because of the pandemic or even just you know generally um and I, I went to some cracking online events like I have social anxiety uh, and depression so for me like being able to access online stuff was incredibly rewarding like you say because suddenly you could go to that show or you could watch that theatre thing but you didn't have to have the whole anxiety of having to leave the house or yeah be on a different time to other people um, and I like to think that obviously it's not the same and things have drastically gone back to um, be, being inaccessible but I think there is like a like a, a rem, there are remnants that are left and people are still t um, attending um, online events um, which is really positive and I think those people will continue to push those things because we can now prove that that's the norm you know that it can be done yeah. um, and yeah, so talking about online events, we've got a book launch coming up for, for you um, on the 16th of May, um, which will be online. It will be hosted by Burning Eye Books um, on Zoom. You can buy tickets from Eventbrite. Uh, we'll put the little link in the description box for this episode. Um, yeah, how are you feeling about doing an online launch as opposed to, I mean... I assume maybe that at some point you might do a, a live in-person one. Um, but sort of how does it feel to be at that point of, oh, oh I'm going to launch my book now? <laughs> um, I'm definitely, I have a bit of anxiety around performing just because it has been so long. Mm. <laughs> I think probably a lot of people are dealing with this as well. Um, just that I feel like I'm probably a bit rusty. Um, the The last performance that I did in person was um last year and it was a 40 minute spoken word show um <laughs> where I was just talking the whole time and that was um a lot I yeah. think <laughs> the the pressure of that was immense and you know it, it went well and I felt really positive about it but um the the lead-in was very very stressful and so I think <laughs> the last time I performed live has left me with a lot of um a lot of unwarranted anxiety about what it'll be like to perform again yeah um, but you know I'm I'm really excited to share a lot of work that I have not had the opportunity to perform before because it's been um god like three years of of being indoors and a lot of poetry has happened in that time mm. um I think I've had a real shift in the way that I think about myself and my career um that I think is sort of the core shift of the collection this idea of slowing down and being a bit kinder to yourself and accepting that you're not going to be able to do the things that everyone else can do and, and 
finding peace in that. And I think that isn't a truth that I am excited to bring to people. Um, I think it's it's somewhere I've been trying to arrive at for a very long time. And I feel like now I'm here, I've I've managed to make these adjustments in how I think about my life. And I am really excited to to share that change with people. I think that has the potential to be very rewarding for me personally. And I really hope as well that it will um, resonate with other people who are living with chronic illnesses and are at varying points on their uh, path towards acceptance and um, pacing and self-care. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, I think, well, I did certainly from reading the book as well. There is that overall message of kindness with yourself, um, uh, which I think will definitely come through at the launch. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a really lovely evening. Um, and I can't wait to see you read the poems as well, um, because I've never seen you perform live. So this is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this, do check out um, the launch of um, My Body is a Resource I'm Willing to Expend, which will be on the 16th of May at 7pm on Zoom. So do come along, cam on or off, it's up to you, whatever you like. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say well done, mate, really. <laughs> um, what a fantastic first book. Um, I'm really uh, so happy that we were able to produce this book for you um, and to be able to work with you on your poems a bit more, um, polish them up, get them to where they needed to be. Um, but you've just done really phenomenal work and yeah, well done. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's been a really rewarding and rich experience good I'm really glad um I think you know books are their own little projects you know that take time I often say to people that um producing a, a book or publishing a book is the sort of the same a similar amount of headspace that you need for a show um yeah. or, or something like that you know there's it's a lot of work and to to there's a lot of things to consider and I think you learn something about yourself as you go along in that process as well um so it's been a, a pleasure to to produce this book for you um and I'm really excited for the launch uh and yeah and I just wanted to ask if you wanted to maybe I don't know treat us to a poem to finish us off um yeah sure I just need to figure out which one I always say just go with whatever one you're feeling like today um Uh, sorry <laughs> uh, oh don't worry don't don't mind me I mean I can just edit this bit I, cool. I'll just cut it out so don't worry about it take your time do what you need to do <laughs> okay uh okay I've made a decision yep <laughs> um uh, this poem is called song of the Jinbei's army 
The Kayakan Aquarium in Osaka, Japan, keeps a whale shark. In 2010, I am lucky enough to visit. My spotty blue vest top matches the spots on its big blue back. Twelve years old, I already believe I'm too big. The fish on the walls of my bedroom are glow-in-the-dark. For the rest of my life, I will have nightmares about killing my pet goldfish. In my dreams, I forget to feed him for weeks or months. When I wake up, I don't know. I really don't know if that's how it happened. Whale sharks are the biggest fish in the world. The largest specimen on record was 18 metres long. They have cartilage instead of bones, and unlike most sharks, they don't have any teeth. My fish book is an A to Z, a dictionary of fish. It's not an encyclopedia, but to me, it might as well be because that book is my whole world. I know fish facts like Bible verses. We watch Blue Planet and I recite David Attenborough's lines before he says them. At the time, I'm unaware that this is a symptom of a diagnosable condition. It's a filter feeder, the whale shark. The same is true of basking sharks, which are the second biggest fish, though it's a close run thing. Both enormous filter feeders They're completely unlike other sharks. What most people imagine when they picture a shark is something with teeth. What I imagine when I picture a shark is nothing at all. It's called aphantasia, common amongst people with autism spectrum disorder. They're the only extant species of the family Rincondontidae, And basking sharks are the last of Ketorhenidae. There is nothing else like them on Earth. Strange relics of a different type of life. I'm 15, and a clinical psychologist tells my parents that there's no cure for being like me. I'm in the room, and I stare at my shoes. In 2010, I let go of Dad's hand and I slip through the crowd to see the whale shark. I press my nose against the glass and watch her eat. Nine metres long and impossibly perfect, she has never even heard of teeth. I think it's really important to clap. Oh, <laughs> I'm just clapping. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's so weird just performing to a microphone. I know, yeah. Well, um, Maria Ferguson has a top tip, which is to, when you're doing an online performance, to line up your cuddly toys behind the screen like an audience. So it feels like at least you're performing to someone. <laughs> um, so that's that's a, a tip from Maria Ferguson for everybody performing online. <laughs> so oh, That's lovely. I have so many cuddly toys. I know you do (laughs) and I love them all so you know no judgment here I mean go for it cuddly toys are amazing um Tom it's been really nice to chat to you today uh 
learn a little bit more about you um, and the book, which is now available from burningeye.co.uk, or you can go direct. Um, Tom, where can people get your book from? Um, it's at katiewaltersthepoet.bigcartel.com. Fab. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'll put all the links in the description box for this episode. Um, if you like this episode, please like and subscribe and tell people. Uh, poetry is great and important and um, you should just tell everyone you know. I'm really good at this <laughs> part, as you can tell. <laughs> um, Tom, have a great weekend. I hope you have a lovely time and uh, we'll see you at the launch. Great, yeah. Thank you so much for, well, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure. <laughs>